You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Hey, glad you're here. You guys ready to go to work today? We are in this uh, series called Taking Your Mountain, and the premise of the series is that there are these seven key mountains that are movers of culture. And if we want the kingdom of God to move forward, then we we want the kingdom to be taking root on all seven of these mountains. And so the idea is to figure out which one of these mountains is yours and which one isn't yours and figure out like how to maximize what God's made you to be in the, in the places that he's asked you to serve him. And so, uh, we're going to talk today about the church mountain, and I am motivated about this topic because it's my mountain, right? Last week we talked about family and how family gives us this sense of identity. Uh, family gives us this awareness of who we are because of what God made us, and then the church plays a role in that as well. We talked about how for some of us, um, we're never going to have a family that's going to call out our identity. And so consequently, um, we, may, we may never have that if we don't have a church family. We may never really know who we are. And so the church family should be there to help support that. Okay? Um, I, have, I have a central premise, a couple of ideas that I really want to build this sermon around. Um, the first one is that the church is God's idea. It, it, it's not man's idea. The church is God's idea. And now, here's the deal. Man has done all kinds of things with it, right? We've done all kinds of things with the church. Some of them good, some of them, uh. But the church, as it's intended to be, is God's idea. And my second premise is that he gave it to us because we need it. So the church is God's idea, and he gave it to us because we need it. And so I want to make sure that we understand that going in. Like, these are the two things that are going to build everything else that we talk about. It's going to be built on these two things. The church is God's idea, and he gave it to us because we need it. Now, the question is, why do we need it? Okay? And um, I want to begin with a, with a passage that really doesn't feel like it's going to tie in, but it's actually central to who, where we're headed as with this sermon. And it's in 1 Timothy chapter 2. So let's take a look at this. It says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all the people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. I would love to preach a sermon on that. Godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and if you're taking notes, please underline this next line, and there is one mediator between God and man. Who is it? Jesus. I love that. He's like, there's only one mediator between God and man, and then he names who it is. It's Jesus. That's really important for us to know. Uh, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For, I, for this I was appointed a preacher and apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. Now, I want us to think about this for a second. How many mediators are there between God and man? One. And who is it? 
Jesus. So let's think about this in terms of pictures. Um, I, I told Brent to make some pictures for me. Um, I told him what to make, but he made them because I am computer Neanderthal. Um, and so uh, I told him to make these, and he did a great job. Let me, let's look at the first picture. It's pretty complicated. <laughs> Here's the thing. Since the dawn of man, man has been trying to figure out God right? Like you can go, well, there, but there's been atheists, blah, blah, yeah, 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 yeah. But there's never been a culture ever in the history of the world ever that didn't have a high level of God awareness. Like there's this thing in us that says there's something more, right? And, and we've, we're, we're, there's all different kinds of ways that people try to figure it out, but we've all kind of been trying to figure it out since man was, became man on earth, okay? Here's the thing. The Bible says that there's one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus. So let's look at the next picture. Jesus is our venue to figure out what God's like. Hebrews says this. Jesus is the exact imprint of God. What that means is that if you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. And that's really good news, because we didn't always know what God was like. Now we do. And that's awesome. We know what he's like because he's like Jesus. So Jesus is our vehicle to access God and to understand God and what he's like. Jesus is. Here's the important thing to remember. The answer for the world is Jesus. You with me? Here's what that means. The answer for the world is not the church. The answer for the world is Jesus. And what's happened over the generations is that the church has tried to step in to the position of Jesus. Let's go to the next picture. The church has tried to become the mediator, the stopgap between man and God. And, and this is really critical for us to get our minds around because the church cannot fill this role. They do it in lots of different kinds of ways. Think about the sacramental system. And I'm not beating up any churches one or another. What I'm saying is the idea of a sacrament is that a sacrament is an action that I take wherein by taking that action, I get access to God's grace. Does that make sense? It's, you, it's really interesting that all the ways that I access God's grace are tied to the church, isn't it? Like, here's what I want to be clear about. There is no one who stands in the way of God's grace for you. No one. Romans says that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. No one gets in the way. And this is where, where some churches will exercise what they call church discipline. Now, I'm all for church discipline properly understood. But what they'll do is they'll say, well, you're under church discipline, so we're going to ban you from the communion table because communion is a sacrament. And when we ban you from the sacrament, we ban you from God's grace. You with me? Let's run that logic out. You're bad, so we're going to deny you access to God's grace. What? What? <laughs> like, wait a minute. If I'm, if I'm bad... What do I need? God's grace. And you're going to take it away from me? Like, that doesn't seem to work at all. Good news. Nothing can separate you from God's grace. Nothing. Nothing can do it. 
Now, let's keep moving because there's a lot of other ways that the church tries to do this. The church tries to shame people in control. Like, you, listen, you can, you, can, um, you can not show up, but, you know, if you don't, like you're not, like God loves you, but probably not as much. So, so there's that. Listen to me. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And any time that the church tries to introduce shame into the life of a Christian, it is stepping outside of its role and trying to become a stopgap between man and God. And that is not the church's role. There isn't, there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. We gotta make that clear, because the church isn't the hope for the world, Jesus is. But let's go back to our central premises. Central premise is that the church is God's idea and he gave it to us because we need it. And so the question is, why? Why do we need it? Well, here's what I believe the Bible teaches is the role of the church, okay? Next picture. The church should be a group of people who support one another as we try to figure out who God is through Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Our job as the church community is to, to support and uphold one another, not to stand between you and God, but to support and uphold you as you try to figure out who God is th through Jesus Christ. That's the role of the church. And what that sounds like, if you've come from a high church mentality where the church has got a high degree of control, what that sounds like is you're taking all the control away from the church. Here's my answer to that. Yep. Yep, I am. You know why? Because the church doesn't control anything. Jesus controls it. Our job as a church community is to respond to the movement of the Holy Spirit amongst us. Are you with me? And what we've done is we've made this kind of rock star mentality with the preacher, which I kind of like. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, you. I'm a big deal. I just want to throw that out. Uh, like, we're going to make sure that we all understand that. <laughs> Where the preacher's word becomes law, and it's the word of the church, and therefore it's the word that controls us. And here's what I want to say clearly. You have as much of the Holy Spirit living in you as I do. There's no special anointing here where I get more of the Holy Spirit than you do. Now, I have a unique role in the body. I get to be the big mouth. But that doesn't make my role more or less important than anybody else's roles. The, like the, the, the role of Christianity has always been about equality. It's not about hierarchy. It's about leveling the playing field. That's, that's kind of who God is. And so um, if the church is God's idea, then it's got to provide that function in our community. We, so we do this thing where we, we put the preacher on a pedestal and we go, man, that, that's where the action is. The people who really love God, that's what they do. They go into ministry. Um, I, I just want to say this. I've had so many people tell me, like, I really want to get serious about following God. And so I feel like I should go into the ministry. And I'm like, Really? So what you're telling me is you go to work in an environment where you are surrounded by people who don't know how incredible God is. 
And every day you get to walk with the power of the spirit in that environment and you're telling me that the action is here. I'm sorry, but go take your mountain. You know what I'm saying? Like the church tries to be in the habit of hiring all the best leaders out of the world so that they can work in the church because this is where the action is. No, no. The church should be a group of people who support the, those who are in the world so that they can be released and empowered to go make a difference where they are. That's what we're called to. So I want to make that clear. I have four points that I have to make plus a conclusion. And we've got about, I don't know, 30, 50 minutes to do that. <laughs> I'm really going to try to race quickly, but I have so much that I want to say about this because this is my mountain, so I'm passionate about it, right? Uh, so point number one, let's look at point number one. The church's job is to empower and release people, not control them. Anytime that the church brings in control as a way to get you to do what you ought to do, it's wrong. It's wrong. The church's job is not to control you. The church's job is to empower you and release you to go do what you have been made by God to do. Are you with me? I'd love it if you guys all loved the church and only wanted to come and hang out and y'all quit your jobs and I didn't have to pay you anything and you came and volunteered. And I'd love that. It's just not the world we live in and it's really not the kingdom of God. So there's that. You know, I've been... I've been studying lessons for Turkey because we're getting ready to go to Turkey. One week today, one week from today, we fly off to go study the early church for 12 days. Uh, one of the things that I find again and again and again is the absolutely insurmountable obstacles that they faced, and yet the kingdom of God moved forward. Why? because they continue to be a group of people who supported one another as they tried to figure out what it meant to do life as a Christian. They weren't pointing out where everybody was wrong. Because the truth is, they didn't have truth on their side. If you were like, well, my God is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, they would have been like, wow, that's what Athena says. Well, my God is the resurrection in the life. Wow, that's what Asclepius says. They already had all those things. They didn't have truth. What they had was a lifestyle that was compelling people. It was drawing them. We've got to be a group of people that release and empower, not control. Let's look at a passage of scripture here. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, that sounds on the surface like it's controlling, right? I want to tell you what to do. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, for as in, no, in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Now, this is really important because what he's talking about here is grace gifts, not spiritual gifts. The grace gifts is the Greek word charismata. Spiritual gifts is the word pneumatikoi. They're different Greek words and they come from a different place. Grace gifts are things that are innately true of you. Whether you walk close to God or not, this is something that will be true of you. 
And you, you, now, there are spiritual gifts where God comes in and in that moment, the spirit supernaturally empowers you to function in a situation. That happens too. But what we're talking about here is these are things that are true of you. And what God is saying through Paul is, I'm not asking you to offer your body as a living sacrifice in a way that's miserable to you. We're never, ever, ever, ever going to ask Thad to be a worship leader. Not going to happen. You know why? That would be miserable for all of us. Because <laughs> it's miserable for him. He doesn't, he's not him. It's not, he's not, that doesn't mean he doesn't want to worship, but he's not going to lead us in worship. Are you with me? This isn't about doing something that you're not. This is about figuring out what you are and releasing it on the world. And when you do that, you gain life from it. It doesn't suck the life out of you. You gain momentum. Check this out as we continue to read. Uh, as one, one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is what Paul is saying. However you fit into this equation, figure out what God has innately made you to be have the church come in and release, empower that and then release it on the world. And when you do, you're like, I love following God. It's like, small, it's like smoking crack. <laughs> it is. Because it's this thing in you that you're made for and you're like, I can't understand it, but I have more energy now than when I started. <laughs> it's, it's like smoking crack. <laughs> the good news is there's no letdown. Right? You have to come off that high. I'm serious. When you start serving the Lord in congruence with who God has made you, that's what it means to offer your body as a living sacrifice. To figure out who you are. Don't be, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world because the world's going to try to tell you all kinds of things that you're not, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then you'll be able to test what God's will is. Right? And then you're going to unleash who you are on the world. Point number two. The church should be a launching pad, not a retirement home. Like this is a place where you should come in and be like, I am getting full, 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 full. Oh my gosh, I got to go. Boom. And then we go out into the world and we go be Christians out there. Because here's the deal. If you believe that coming in here and sitting in church and even singing happy little songs is what makes you a Christian, I just want you to know that Satan came here today and he quotes scripture. Satan comes to church and quotes scripture every week. Read the temptation. How are you measuring your Christianity? Like Christianity is about going out there and unleashing what the Holy Spirit's doing in here on the world. That's why we come in and we worship passionately, which raises the question. I mean, we've been visiting this for months now, right? Like, did you show up prepared today? Did you, were you, did you come ready? Or did you come walking in either, I'm, I'm just going to get through it because I got to do my Christian duty. You know, if I don't show up, Thad's going to call me and he'll probably make me feel bad. <laughs> like, is that why you came today? Or did you come going, okay, Lord, I'm not prepared at all, but I'm going to expect you to do something in my heart. And if you don't, I'm just going to say that the Holy Spirit's not here. I'm going to a different church. Like, how did you come prepared today? Because worship isn't about me taking away from God. Worship is about me standing as his presence and saying, God, this is what I believe about you. 
Did we come ready to do that today? Did you show up on time? Like, remember when we wrestled with Hebrews 12? We want to give God worship that's appropriate for him, full of reverence and awe. And while that may look different for a lot of people, I can tell you what isn't reverence and awe. Showing up late and not really caring about the worship time is not worship with reverence and awe. I'm just saying. Like, coming in here and not being ready to... to give the Lord an offering of something. That's not reverence and awe. That's taking. Just invite us to consider that. Just keep thinking that. Keep thinking on that as we work through this. What is it? What is worship? What is the role of worship in our life? This should be a thing that fills us up, fills us up, fills us up. We celebrate God. We celebrate his word and how much he loves you and how he thinks you are too mayoed. And then you get released on the world to go tell the world how much God loves them too. This is not a retirement home. That's not what the church is. This is not a place where you come and just sit and hang out. This is a place, this is the fueling station. This is the launching pad that kicks you out into the world. Are you with me? Point three. The church should be a hospital, not a museum. We're not fixed. We're all in process. We don't all have it all together. In fact, I don't, when I say that, I mean none of us have it all together. I mean, none of you, at least. <laughs> Me. Like, we act as if we got to come in all put together. Like, that's not the church. So when people say in the community, like, I don't want to come to church, it's full of hypocrites. Yes. That's exactly who should be in church, right? We got to get those people fixed. They're a mess. <laughs> those people, those people that are hypocrites. <laughs> like, not, not me, but, but that's, the, that's the thing. Like, we want to come into church like all plastic and fixed and looking veneered and all put together. And look at me, I got to figure it out. I got to figure it out. Here's the truth. None of us have it figured out. None of us do. And when the church tries to act like it's not okay to talk about that, then what we do is we block people from being able to share what's really going on in their life. And when they can't share what's really going on in their life, then it doesn't get better. We gotta be real about talking. I believe with all of my heart that authenticity is the currency of the church. The degree to which we are able to be truly authentic about where we are and what's going on in our life is the degree to which we will experience personal healing and the degree to which the world will see our God for who he really is. Like, we don't have it all figured out. We don't. So, because we all got messes in our lives, let's just put it on the table and be honest about it and then deal with it. It's a way better way to do life, I promise you. It's a way better way to do life. Let's look at this passage, Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, we love the first part of that. You should restore him. Yeah, I got to tell him where he's wrong. He's wrong. He needs to know that he's wrong. Here's the deal. I got a brother that's in sin. He's wrong. I need to tell him that he's wrong. What we forget is the second part of that, in spirit of gentleness. And so here's the deal. Real life on the Palouse, my family, my people, If you can't talk to somebody about what's going on in their life in a spirit of gentleness, first and foremost, shut up. 
Can, is, is that, can we make that deal? Like, other churches can do whatever other churches are going to do. I'm not, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying as part of our family, this is how we want to put our God on display to the world. Because I think this is what the Bible teaches. First and foremost, we exercise relationship with the spirit of gentleness. And if we can't do that, then we will never have the right to speak anything else to anyone. And I know that for some of us, we're like, oh, well, what you're saying then is that they, there's, people can just do whatever they want. People can run amok. We don't, we don't have to tell them what they're doing wrong. I didn't say that. But here's the thing. I want you to look at another passage out of the same letter, Galatians 5. It says this, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. When you and I choose through love to serve one another, we get healed. Here's the interesting thing about it. When I choose to serve you out of love, I get healed. When I choose to invest my life in your well-being, I get healed. Now, you will benefit from it, I'm sure. You'll be blessed by that. But guess who really gets healed? Like, stop sitting in your, in your muck going, I just wish somebody would love me. Be the kind of person that will love another person and serve them because when you do, you get set free. Like, that's the weird irony of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. It's good. All right, last point. The church is supposed to be a picture of what heaven will look like one day. Here's my, here's my thing. I do this in all the one-on-one classes, so if you've been in one-on-one, this will sound familiar. But I always ask in the class when we start talking about the church, when you get to heaven, what characteristics will be true of your relationships in heaven? What will be true of your relationships in heaven? What, what will they be like? And, and I, I always tell people, let's get like 30 of them on a, on a whiteboard. This is characteristics that'll be true of our relationship. We brainstorm them out. We brainstorm them out. So I put 28 of them in your notes. They're there. Here's the deal. If you're reading through that list and you're like, no, wait, there, there's one, this one needs to be here. You are free to add to the list. It is not inspired. If you're reading through the list and you're like, uh-uh, that's not going to be in heaven. No, wait, uh Cross it off. You're, you're good. You can cross it off. You're free to make your own list, right? It doesn't matter that we have the right list. What, it, what matters is the next question. Of the list that you create, of those things that are going to be true of our relationships when we get to heaven, what of those isn't supposed to be true about our relationships today? See, here's my thought. I think that the reason why God gave us the church is because it's supposed to be a picture of what heaven's going to be like one day. And here's the interesting thing. As you and I function well in relationship with one another, what's fascinating about that is the world is drawn to it. And what the church has tried to do to garner influence and in culture is to become truth bullies. We want to point out where everybody's wrong and we want to outthink everybody and we want to do everything like we, we're right and you're wrong and neener, neener, we're the wieners. That, that, we want to be that group of people and the reality is the world is like, you know what? I'm tired of listening to you. I'm tired of listening to you ramble about how you got it all figured out and your God's so great and wonderful and you look just like me. You're not different at all. 
I don't have to, I don't have, to have any of this truth stuff that you have, and I can, do exa- I can live exactly the same life you live. Like at some point, we've got to stand apart, and the way that we stand apart is in the way that we care about one another. That's why John, Jesus says in John 13, a new command I give you, brand new command, command. This is a demand of God. You ready? You guys know what it is? Love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. By what? By your convincing apologetic arguments. Like, why do we spend so much energy majoring on the minors? Why do we spend so much energy doing things, uh, trying to figure, now I'm, here's the deal. I don't have any problem with apologetics. It's a good conversation. And for some people, it gives them a security in knowing that their faith isn't blind faith. It's not a foolish faith. However, that's not what's going to change the world. What Jesus says is, the way that the world is going to know who he is is by the way you and I love one another. And the world is inexplicably drawn to it. Like we don't have to go out and do any kind of great crusades because the world is drawn to a group of people who will love each other well. That's God's job. With that in mind, we're going to move towards the Lord's table. And so we're going to do two things right now. Uh, Number one, what we're going to do is we're going to pass some buckets through. They're going to come from this side and go this way. So just send them all the way across. They'll get picked up over here. Those cards that Thad talked about earlier, uh, you can get that filled out, drop it in that bucket. Or if you have any tithes or offerings, you can drop it in that bucket as well when it goes by. The other thing that we're going to do is we're going to take communion. And uh, we take communion every week. Here's the deal. We have an open table. Anybody who wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake. You are welcome at the table. But we want you to hold those elements till the end, and we'll take the, take the, the bread and the juice together. While they're passing all that out, I want to work through a few implications. Implications are things that we thought were particularly important as we're working through the sermon. So uh, that's, this isn't the exhaustive list. If the Holy Spirit's working in your heart in another area, that's okay. Uh, you let the Holy Spirit work on you wherever he wants to work on you. That's good and it's right and it's okay. These are some things that we thought were particularly important landing points um, as we move forward. Thank you. Implication number one, the church exists to support, empower, and release people into the world to function as God intended them to. Therefore, we must do spiritual business on behalf of those who are in the world, putting God on display. We can't be a group of people who hire out all the Christians. We're going to hire all the Christians to work for the church. We can't be that group of people. What we can be is a group of people who do business in the spiritual world for people that are out there trying to put God on display. Because the Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers and the principalities that are at work in this present darkness. So you and I get to do spiritual battle for one another as some of us go out into the real world to put God on display out there. We do business in the church world for that. Next implication. 
We do not need to wait until heaven to start acting the way we ought to in relationship. I, I am uh, imploring you, I'm inviting you to a hard truth that's really important. Please consider the possibility that your brokenness doesn't have to rule the day. That the darkness in your heart can actually become light if you'll let Jesus in and you'll let people love you well and you'll start investing in relationships properly. You'll actually be changed. What I love about relationship is that it's the one thing in our life that will force what we call sanctification, the process of being made holy. Here's why. If it's just about knowledge, and, and I'm holy because I know things, there's no character change that has to take place there. But if I have an anger problem and I'm gonna function in relationship well, I gotta deal with my anger problem. You with me? Like, relationship forces us to become more holy. I love it, and that, I think, is why God calls us to it. He doesn't call us to more and more knowledge only. He calls us to actually engage people in relationship because that forces us to get over ourselves. Next implication. People are drawn to healthy relationships. Sharing Christ with those who are far from him will always be connected to how we treat other people. Listen to me very clearly. You are, right now, today, sharing who your Jesus is with everyone around you all the time. You are. Maybe we should consider the possibility of being intentional with that. Maybe we should take the time to be strategic and on purpose about how we put our God on display to the world. Maybe that would be helpful for us. Because if we don't take that very seriously, we're still promoting a Jesus. We're just promoting a Jesus that isn't really worth paying attention to. And I don't think any of us wants that. So the invitation of the church is to be a group of people who support and love one another so that we can hold one another accountable to being good out there. It's one of the reasons why we do small groups. Like, you should totally get in one. If you're not in a small group, you need to get in a small group because it affords the opportunity for us to get in proper relationships so that we can put our God on display in the world. Here's the other thing that small groups do, and it ties right back into communion. They call us back to the truth of the goodness of God and the mission of Jesus and how we get there. It's in laying down our own agenda that we find a mission that's way bigger and way better than anything we could come up with on our own. This reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for meeting us right where we are. Thank you for the invitation to be in relationships with other people as we try to serve one another and in the midst of that, find healing in ourselves. Lord, Thank you for this call to relationship, that the church is this community of people that supports us as we figure out how to find you through Jesus. 
And Lord, um, I pray that you give us the courage to live in the truth of your heart for all people. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.